The message is really like your cash conversion cycle is what's going to determine how fast you can grow in the end. It's like, but the problem with it is like, it's really important not to think about it in isolation because like, what are the tools to, to improve your cash conversion cycles? Well, well, have fewer products and then you can't do product launches. And that's typically how you grow, right? You need to launch new products. So like improving the cycle, then it might hurt your growth. So say, you know, pay $10,000 in, in deposits and then you wait 45 days. So a month and a half, typically for manufacturing. And then you pay the remaining 70%. So then you pay another $20,000, say, to make the round, uh, round numbers. You're like you pay 30,000 and then you wait for almost two months to get the goods in your inventory. That's if you do sea freight, which is cheap and good for the environment and all that. So that's, $30,000 you need to have. And then how fast can you sell this? You won't sell it all the first day it arrives, right? And that is very individual per company. So like how fast you can turn over that inventory. So basically you know, once it lands in your warehouse, how fast do you move it out the door, right? And this, this is an optimization that really, really makes a difference. We've heard so many stories from brands who find a new supplier in, say, China, uh, prepay two months later, open the container and realize that, oh, crap, these things don't work. Or our customers are getting disappointed and giving bad comments. And that could have been stopped already in the factory for a very small sum. And that would be good for you both, like fewer returns, more happy customers, positive for the brand. So it's not central to what we do. but it is a tool. You don't have to use us for that. There's, you can buy that service, of course. But So that's the, the highest level of supplier vetting. So on today's episode, we're going to be covering cash conversion cycles and not star metric of your supply chain and operations, how to leverage finance to improve the metric and scale fast, and the channels you should be focusing on to beat the financial odds this year. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. Hey, hello 2Xs and welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Peter Beckman. He's a co-founder and CEO of Tread. It's a Nordics fintech startup that provides supplier financing to e-commerce businesses with international supply chains. Tread supplier financing solution enables UK and Nordic based businesses actually pay their suppliers in advance, which solves a major problem faced by many businesses that sell products but struggle to purchase enough inventory due to cash flow constraints. So why should you listen to this episode? Well, Peter shares valuable insights to understanding cash conversion cycles. He breaks down the concept of cash conversion cycles, shares practical tips, and tells us why it's important for e-commerce businesses to optimize for this metric. Secondly, Peter shares supply chain and logistics insights and updates on the current state of the global supply chain and how it affects businesses right now. He also shares data, Tread is saying, from its most operationally agile client space. Finally, Peter shares multi-channel strategies from some of Tread's best-in-class, fast-growing e-commerce businesses that are defying the current economic odds. He explains the channel mix and the channel you should be doubling down on right now. 
if you haven't already. So without further ado, let's get started. <laughs> let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Let's talk about the importance of retention in e-commerce growth and the role that marketing automation plays in achieving it. When it comes to marketing automation, the gold standard platform for e-commerce is Klaviyo. I've been using Klaviyo since 2017, and I've watched it evolve from an email-only platform to a unified customer platform with integrated email and SMS capabilities. Not only have I watched it evolve, but I've been able to use Klaviyo to roll out highly targeted messaging flows to VIPs and high-risk customers who are about to churn, and even implement on-site behavior-triggered message flows, all with high deliverability rates. I've never once had to worry about not being able to use Klaviyo for even my wildest automation and optimization dreams because Klaviyo has deep integration with my tech stack with over 300 integrations. It's no wonder why over 100,000 brands trust Klaviyo, including big names like Glossier, Iconic London, Wilkinson Sword, Italis, Grind, and Blender's Eyewear, and at Octelian, where we acquire digital native brands in both the health and beauty and the food and beverage industries. We use Klaviyo in our portfolio brands like Lean Caffeine. With Klaviyo, you will have a single platform to personalize at scale and connect with your customers to grow more profitably and sustainably on your own terms without having to rely on expensive strategies like paid advertising. So don't wait. Try Klaviyo today and take control of your e-commerce growth. Get a free trial at klaviyo.com slash 2x. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash 2x. Hey, Peter, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Hey, super fun to be here. No, I'm brilliant. a fan. <laughs> You're a fan. Yeah. Uh, we, we're also a fan because we use your service and it's it's been a a growth tool, a, a growth secret at Octelian, right? So super excited to have you and thank you for actually accepting this um, interview. Yeah, and nothing makes me more happy than than hearing from happy customers. Uh, that is that is why we built the company to to be the secret sort of growth source for 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 really cool, fast growing consumer brands. Yeah, amazing. So I've trade. So you're you're spelled T R E Y D, right? But you're you're pronounced trade. So I'm going to take it Correct. trade. You're you're based out in in Sweden. You serve the Nordics and the uk i've actually had conversations with guests from the us and i mentioned trade i'm like okay i actually goof because we had another another sort of business that does similar to what you guys do who are based out in in, in north america and, and they serve you know north america so you're, you're predominantly the uk the nordics and i believe you're going to be expanding further into the states at some point we will so second half this year we should be in the in the us and we'll continue to expand within uh, Europe as well. Uh, we are, we think adding like four or five, five countries per year is kind of a good rate for us. So that's mm -hmm. the tempo we're setting for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the UK was our, we started in Sweden uh, for the very simple reason that that's where we were. 
Uh, and it's a very good place to start a fintech. But we always thought that the next big bet needs to be the UK. Uh, it is a, you know, it is a, a big international market, and we always thought that this thing we're building is something that's needed everywhere. So we yeah. need to go to the uh, to the real world, let's say the big, yeah. the big world. And yeah, that's been super fun. Interesting. We'll, we'll we'll jump into that. Speaking of which, back in 2016 or 17, on this show, we had one of the founders of Klarna come mm. on again from the Nordics. And at the time, they were just getting into the UK. And I didn't know. I I was like, okay, wow, okay, right. I'm having the founder and, you know, tell me a bit about you. Tell me what you do. Your, you know, your buy now, save later sounds interesting. (laughs) However, they just, they became a household name. You know, it's it's become a verb essentially with with, uh, millennials and and Gen Xers. Well, Gen Zers rather. It's a super fun story, I think. And, and obviously, I mean, Stockholm is not that big a place. So mm. I have a, a lot of friends who were there already in the early days. And mm. they're kind of the, the, the sort of the, the, so, the, the sun in the solar system here, mm. I think, in mm. the fintech, uh, mm. fintech world in Stockholm. So it's, it's really cool and inspirational. Okay. 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 So Peter, let's find out a bit about you. Just a, a background. I, I want to know who you are as a child, what's, you know, that trajectory. I want to get your backstory as far back as you want to share, you know, on here, we would like to, to hear what, what kind of, you know, where you grew up, you know, where, where you, you scored and, you know, your formative years, essentially. Yeah. It's, I, uh, it's not entirely obvious. It wasn't obvious for me, at least, uh, looking back e- even because I, I grew up on a farm in Southwest Sweden. Uh, mm-hmm. so, well, at least I learned to work hard because that's what you do on, on farm. farms. Uh, <laughs> and I thought actually I was going into the military and I spent a couple of years there. But they, when they were like reducing the budgets, uh, I realized like, okay, there is no future in, in the military, at least in the next coming years. So I was like, I need to start. And I was always interested in business and entrepreneurship, even as a kid and like ideas mainly. So mm-hmm. yeah, business school. And for someone who was, you know, the classical guy at the back of the class who didn't really uh, love going to school, rather the opposite. Uh, I ended up doing a PhD in corporate strategy in Switzerland, uh, in St. Gallen, so one of the very good business schools in, in Europe, uh, which was, I don't know, I guess I will never forgive myself. That's that's a weird weird thing for, for someone who hated school. Uh, based on that, I got into strategy consulting uh i primarily helped large corporates do business in high risk geographies so a lot of uh, business in emerging and developing countries uh, a lot of those sort of challenging complex situations cross-border finance cross-border strategy uh, but for larger corporates and at last i sort of decided to properly try the entrepreneurial sort of uh, path that I always as a kid thought that's what I should do and started a, a company with a, actually a colleague from from the PhD times uh, an American uh, so we built a, a, a startup that did geographically based risk analysis so we basically analyzed all the newspaper articles in the world satellite data etc to understand sort of cross-border risk uh, in real time on a global scale it did have, uh, technically, we got off to a really good start and we thought this is going to be a base for 
you know, cross-border finance. But I also had some stupid hobbies. Uh, so I was doing a bit of extreme sports. I was doing what's called speed riding and speed flying. And on one of those uh, trips, I managed to fly myself into a nice Norwegian mountain uh, and broke a lot of bones. Uh, a lot of them so well simply put i I had to spend you know six months in a wheelchair a bunch of surgery and that kind of crap and that's not the place to run a startup especially sort of uh that's based on the other side of the atlantic so uh that that you know we stopped that project uh what was good in the end is like it actually turned into multiple new companies that were even better and and trade is one of them because, yeah, sorry if this is too long, but... Uh, no, no, go for it. Could, no, no, we have I, to. Yeah, I had fun timing. Roughly when I when I was allowed to walk again or could walk again, I got a call from Antler, which is an accelerator program, uh, uh, who asked if I was interested in, in joining their next uh, cohort in Stockholm. And I thought, perfect, let's go for it uh, again. Do it. Try again. Try it better. And this time, let's build the financing service for for companies to trade internationally rather than sort of build a data company to sell to to large banks and insurers uh, because they're never going to build that service that's one of the realizations but to really then to nail down it's like i i mean i've spent like my adult life which i guess you know the years are sort of adding up now in cross-border finance and cross-border business. Mm. And there's so many problems, especially for smaller, like small, young, fast-growing companies have enormous challenges in cross-border, especially on the financing side. So we we became, I, mean, I met my co-founder in Antler, and we decided to, to really nail down by talking to lots of uh, of smaller companies who did international trade to really figure out like what is the biggest challenge you face. And it was actually quite quick because company after company were saying exactly the same thing. Like, if you can solve our import problem, we'll be your customer. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, so what's your import problem? We pay our suppliers in advance and there's just no way to fund that. And that means like we're constantly out of stock for our most important product. Uh, so we're like wasting our marketing dollars. We have the customers. We just can't buy enough stuff. And and they do things like they do air freight just to get the stuff faster from factories. Often, like if you're buying from China, which, as you know, a lot of brands are, uh, it takes a week instead of uh, six to eight weeks. So that means you can buy a little more inventory because you bind less cash in your supply chain. Uh, but it's like it's super painful. When you have built, you know, created a product, built the brand, you get the customers, but you just can't, you don't have stuff to sell to them. Uh, it's like, it's a ridiculous problem, uh, fundamentally. Uh, those brands have solved the biggest problem. So we thought like, this is the problem to solve. And what we, what we had an indication of that, you know, we talked to, I don't know how many, but quite a few brands uh, that said exactly the same thing. And when we also sort of lifted the gaze to analyze the, the world, how big of a problem is this? We realized that almost 30% of world trade is paid with cash in advance. So we all also like realized like this is a global problem that you know affects hundreds of thousands of brands around the world. If we can solve this, we can you know build something meaningful, like a meaningful. company that has a really solves one of those big unsolved problems in the world so yeah that's how we got got started 
And then you, so just, I'm going to go back to, to, because it was, it was quite a, a, a marathon on, on that one. My first thing I picked up from, from what you just said is your, your work ethic, which you got from the farm and you thought you transition it over to the military. Now with that, you, you couldn't just due to, to budget restrictions. And then you got into to business and, and that took you to the highest echelon really, which is a PhD in, in, in Switzerland, University of St. Gallen, I think. Yep. With the accident, you had to sort of transition. You also have that corporate strategy background with cross-border experience. And with that, you had to transition to, to, to well, you, you were offered, you, you got into Antler, which is kind of like a Y Combinator, you know, accelerator really um for 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 nordic companies i believe or nordic yeah, startups it's actually globally so they're in it's global okay uk us asia africa okay. everywhere amazing nowadays. okay interesting and, and so, so how long was it incubated for at, at that in terms of trade how long did you so really really iron out that 30 percent which is a huge number 30% of all global trade is paid upfront performer invoices. Um, so, so how yeah. long was it incubated for so, and when did it go to market? It was actually in time, a really short period. Uh, it was roughly four months in the accelerator. And mm. four months is really nothing. Uh, in a startup, it's a long time. Uh, so I guess it, it's, it's how you want to think about it. But essentially, we came out of there with... Uh, a little bit of cash and a very, uh, you know, a fairly honed out, uh, but still rough idea and the PowerPoints uh, presentation. Okay. That's the summary of it. So then the journey really started. Then we're like two founders in a, in a sort of co-working space in Stockholm. Yeah. Getting going. What's your, what's your co-founder's name and, um, what, and, and what is he or her background? Yeah, so his name is Sam uh, El Ansari. So mm -hmm. he's the, uh, an amazing guy. He 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 did his PhD in Stockholm, uh, mm -hmm. but in computer science mm -hmm. uh, back in the days. And then he was co-founder of uh, Hive Streaming, which mm -hmm. became one of two world leaders in sort of corporate video streaming mm -hmm. back in the peer-to-peer -peer days. He was then involved in or co-founder of of RaceFox, which was one of the first real like AI for sports companies. Mm. And then he got into fintech and crypto uh, for a couple of years. And he, he had a slightly different idea uh, related to sort of uh, yeah, crypto and payments uh, mm -hmm. that he came to Antler with. And we met in the accelerator and, and really mm. found that kind of, you know, perfect match. And it mm. felt like, like his tech and the problem I wanted to solve was like, this is an excellent match. And yeah. of course, also like, you know, that mutual respect and being different enough uh, yeah. to make a good team and similar enough in other aspects. So yeah. that was enormously fortunate. Yeah. And, and also like having a partner that is an experienced entrepreneur is, mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible. That, because you, you go through a lot together. And, uh, and yep. you know, someone who's been through it before has seen the sort of movie play out before. Uh, that's mm -hmm. that's quite valuable. Yeah, amazing, amazing. It's 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 so great to have a Wozniak and Jobs combo 
to to really scale up a you know a a, a business you know and 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 that's what I see you have so so, so I'm, summer is more a CTO you're more a CEO you know looking at exactly. the, the dynamics of the market and actually paving the way and saying this is where we need to go and then he just executes from 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 that stand from that point of view from a technical standpoint interesting exactly. and it's, it's it's very simple right building a building a tech startup is like <laughs> someone needs to build it and someone yeah. needs to sell it that's exactly. what you need and exactly think, uh, so it's a very the, natural sort of combo yeah speak, speaking of swedish startups again in the fintech st- space um that the, there's also uni you know the the online they, they they don't call themselves an online bank for e-commerce but um yeah they're, they're an online yeah, bank for e-commerce they are. yeah they are <laughs> exactly exactly uh, okay so your value proposition at tread your would you say your invoice financing or would you say your supplier financing just want to get the the verbiage yeah. right We'd rather say supplier financing uh, okay. or sell first, pay suppliers later. A lot of work, okay. but it really explains what we do. And the reason we're not invoice finance, because usually invoice finance to most people means that, uh, like factory, you have sold something and wait to get paid from your customer. Uh, uh-huh. That's the normal sort of invoice finance. What we solve is a different problem. It's when you pay your suppliers before you get the goods. Uh, mm. and that has been an unsolved problem in the world until, yeah, fairly recently. Uh, mm. so that's why we, we, and we honestly struggle a little bit with, with the term because like, whatever you say, people think of something else. We, mm. at some point we, we just said, you know, buy now, pay later for world trade. And then we realized, well, that's actually a checkout solution that people start thinking about. Uh, we're mm-hmm. absolutely not the checkout solution. We're, you know, credit payments for supplier payments. That's uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Sorry and for the, the many is, words, is, but it's a, no. No, I think the hook is something people are already used to. So we had a, a, a founder of Occur Saving Savings here on mm-hmm. the podcast, and they're they're a checkout solution for save now, pay later. So they just, you know, went mm-hmm. on the same sort of you know, um, pattern essentially. So with tread, you essentially get an invoice from your suppliers, which is approved by yourselves and you pay that invoice for the, exactly. And, and yeah. then so when do you, our customers use us very simply, like they pay their supplier invoices, uh, through our platform. So just mm-hmm. like they would pay from the bank, but instead they use the limit they have from us and they can choose to pay it. Okay. I want to, I want to snooze this invoice for four months. So oh trade pays my supplier and I pay trade in four months. Very simple, but it looks like just paying a supplier invoice, upload the invoice, add the payment details, select 120 days or whatever number you feel is appropriate and click pay. So it's, it's uh, from a user perspective this is relatively undramatic. So you you will pay on our behalf. Um, can we adjust the four months to three months if we want to pay faster, or six months if we want to pay slower? Yes, maximum one hundred and twenty days, so maximum four months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one, two, three, four, uh, we you can just choose when you when you when you make the payment. And what kind of interest do, do they pay on, on a monthly? I, I'm guessing it's a monthly interest. Well, I'm not guessing. We we use trade. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, and, and the interest is, is set individually per per customer because it's such a wide range from i mean we have uh 
listed uh, companies with hundreds of millions in revenue mm. and we have like a year old just getting started companies with almost no balance sheet and no history mm. so the range is all the way from like between say one and three percent per month to say a, but it's a wide range and what is fortunate for us is the typical experience from the customers like it gets uh, more affordable over time and the limit gets higher over time because we solve a growth problem uh, it's like uh, which is also super fun as an entrepreneur to of, of all the problems you can solve growth problems are 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 really fun because you get this very positive usually relation with your customer it's like they're telling us like we have the customers we just can't buy enough and you enable the limits and then they can grow be even more profitable we can increase the limit improve the pricing so that's the kind of cycle we we hope to achieve with and mm-hmm. typically do let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back If you're looking to take your e-commerce growth to the next level, I highly recommend checking out Recharge for your recurring payments and subscription management needs. With Recharge, you'll be able to streamline your recurring payments, create predictability, and even further automate your business. So don't wait. Get started with the subscription platform trusted by over 50 million subscribers across the world. Try Recharge today and see how it can help you retain your customers and grow your business. So head over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Interesting, really, really interesting. And then with regards to the the actual invoices from the, from these suppliers, do you have to vet each supplier because you're 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 financing that supplier essentially yeah Uh, and and what's your criteria yeah so we uh we actually vet every single supplier uh and the most important thing from our perspective is is uh from anti-money laundry perspective we are a regulated business so and we obviously also want to stay really far away from from the kind of bad actors in the world so not only what do we do you know the kyc and quick and easy onboarding but then for every transaction we do sort of our background check on on the supplier we also have an interesting option that is relevant for some customers especially if you have a new supplier uh, that you haven't worked with and you're putting a large order we offer the ability to do a quality inspection in the factory Mm. which you can do directly from the from the sort of payment interface just add uh add a quality inspection and we'll actually send someone to the factory for like a full day inspection to take you know pictures videos testing your product mm. etc and that's usually like 300 dollars uh, or something and mm. one of the things that a lot of brands really should do more of uh it's not sometimes we require it but usually we don't but we we actually always recommend it because it, uh, we've heard so many stories from brands who find a new supplier in, say, China, uh, prepay two months later, open the container and realize that, oh, crap, these things don't work or our customers are getting disappointed and giving bad comments. And that could have been stopped already in the factory for a very small sum. And... Uh, 
that would be good for you both like fewer returns, more happy customers, positive for the brand. So mm -hmm. it's not central to what we do, uh, but it is a tool. Uh, you don't have to use us for that. There's, you mm -hmm. can buy that service, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, So that's the, the highest level of supplier vetting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so we don't talk enough about operations and finance in, in e-commerce in general. It, it, it yeah. tends to be... Uh, a back office thing. The more exciting conversations are, you know, brand stories, marketing, sales. But you solve an operational, which is just keeping stock, keeping in stock, and a finance challenge, which revolves around cash conversion cycles and time. Yeah. Essentially, you're buying yourself time. Do you want to speak to Two points. One is cash conversion cycles, just that topic of cash conversion cycles. And and two, which we'll speak a bit later on, will be essentially around how your data sense. Uh, we'll, we'll get into your data, what you're seeing from from you know, like merchant insights, and, and we'll, we'll put that. But let's start out with cash conversion cycles. Do you want to break down how, why like listeners should be very, very focused on cash conversion cycles? Yeah, they they really should, and and I I like to to think about it and talk about it in like the simplest possible terms uh, because in practice it's not very complicated. It's like when you're selling, you're if you're selling D two C, you get paid almost instantly. But if you're selling wholesale, you typically also then wait one or two months from your customer, right? Mm -hmm. But D two C typically get paid instantly. But there is a difference between that and when you pay your supplier. And you pay your supplier typically maybe up to six months earlier. Uh, because uh, when you place an order, this, this is for, up front. Th this is for an Asian supply chain, just so we, like, uh, when you're buying exactly. from, 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 from Far East. Okay. Exactly. And, and we talk about uh, our customers are like the brands, the, the product brand mm -hmm. type of business. We're not talking about like multi brands who sells other people's brands. because. Mm -hmm. uh, they typically don't have a big issue of this. They get credit from their supplier and and, uh, and then they get paid instantly. So it's like they don't bind a lot of cash. But if you're a, a brand, say you're making headphones or makeup or toys or whatever, like you place an order in the factory, pay 30% upfront. So say, you know, pay $10,000 in, in deposit. And then you wait 45 days, so a month and a half typically for manufacturing and then you pay the remaining 70%. So then you pay another $20,000 say to make the round, uh, round numbers. You like you pay 30,000 and then you wait for almost two months to get the goods in your inventory. That's if you do sea freight, which is cheap mm -hmm. and good for the environment and all that. So that's, uh, $30,000 that you need to have. And then how fast can you sell this? You won't sell it all the first day it arrives, right? And that mm -hmm. is very individual per company. So like how fast you can turn over that inventory. So basically you know, once it lands in your warehouse, how fast do you move it out the door, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this is an optimization that really, really makes a difference because, and there are a lot of things here, levers to pull, to make it better. So like your product mix, how large orders do you place with factories? I mean, ideally you want to put like really small orders 
for the cash conversion cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you will sell it as soon as it lands. And the next one comes, ideally, you should get one delivery per day from the factory and, and send <laughs> all those work. products out the same day. It doesn't work like that. Because doesn't then work you're gonna, right? So you want to, for, for margins, you want to maximize your order sizes because you will get a lot lower prices from the factory if you place large orders. And the second thing, of course, is the logistics costs which are a lot smaller if you have, or like the inbound logistics, if you place large orders. So this is something that brands really struggle with. And I think to make this very practical, I think a typical customer of ours, uh, it's like, or any e-commerce brand, they have maybe something like 30% of the revenue that they sort of bind in cash. They need that to have enough inventory to not run out of stock when you're, you know, for your important products, uh, etc. Some are more efficient, some are less efficient, but that's kind of typical. So if you're a, you know, classic like 500k revenue uh, brand, you typically have 150k tied up in inventory one way or another, if we count it all the way from prepaying the supplier. And the practical reality, so you're going from 500k to a million, you know, good 100% growth, which is kind of common of that size if you have something that works that means you need to go from 150k cash in inventory to 300 so that's another 150k where's that going to come from right few brands that are 500k revenue growing 100 percent will earn 150k at the bottom line like after everything that they can use to procure so that is the challenge and that means like if you can't find those, you cannot grow 100%. That's, that's right. That's like impossible. Perhaps you can improve the cash conversion, but that's going to hurt your margins, right? Because mm-hmm. then you have to place smaller orders. You're going to run out of stock. You need to have fewer SKUs. It's like, it's really hard. So the, the that's really where trade comes in. Like you have the customers, you have the growth, but how do you sort of fund that growth? Because the inventory is what's going to stop you. So mm-hmm. if you could get like, say, 100k limit from trade and you start to pay suppliers and you might have 50k in profits that you put in then you can double like and um, keep your inventory levels high which is good for you know marketing efficiency and it also means you can place those you can continue to place large orders which means you can get lower and lower cost in your supply chain you can mm-hmm. have low shipping cost so it's yeah i know a lot of words and a complicated no. complicated topic Me- but but also kind of straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. a certain level. And what happens when you go below a certain level of inventory, and, and the level is different for every business, of course, but there are a couple of things. Uh, the most obvious that happens that that's like the standard conversation when a, when a brand finds us is like, we're out of stock for our most important product. Mm. Again, we just wasted all those marketing dollars. It's like, and we... We don't have enough inventory and now we have to place an order and that's going to come in three months. So it's like, mm. that's just painful. Yeah. Uh, and companies go into all kinds of tricks and doing, you know, small order sizes and so on, which is super costly and do air freight. And in air freight, you can get it instead of waiting seven weeks, you wait one week. Yeah. But, yeah. but usually super expensive. My, my takeaway from what you just said is, you know, cash conversion cycles really is a, is is a way to to mitigate time. It's a measurement of time. You know, it, it's it's kind of like it's a metric used to 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 express like how many days it takes you to convert cash 
you know, it, from inventory to to, to yeah. actually selling product. And, and and to me, it's like, how are you optimizing time? Because time, you you do you want to slow grow or do you want to seize the opportunity? Particularly when you're a small size of 500k and there's a five million or a 10 million dollar opportunity in front of you over the next you know 24 months. How quickly can you fund? The, the inventory that, you know, your marketing is scaling up front, whether it's retention or whether it's acquisition to, to actually really, really push through and yeah. know, fulfill, fulfill, you know, demand and, you know, customer experience, customer satisfaction. And yeah. I that, think the, that's, the message is really like your cash conversion cycle is what's going to determine how fast you can grow hmm. in the end. It's like, but the problem with it, is like it's really important not to think about it in isolation because mm. like what are the tools to to improve your cash conversion cycles well, well have fewer products mm-hmm. and then you can't do product launches and that's typically how you grow right you need to launch new products so like improving the cycle then it might hurt your growth the other way is to put small orders uh frequently that will improve your cash conversion cycle but it's really going to hurt your profit so it's a it's a tough balance to find the right balance. Yeah. So that's why you know a lot of brands at least are considering can we find a way to finance this as well because then yeah. we can increase growth and increase margin. And that of course is magic for a business if you can do both. Yeah, and you, you know you mentioned the fact that you underwrite every you know single business that that works with you and every one of your your customers or, or clients. Do you determine this this cash conversion cycle? So, with the example that you mentioned, where you're like, okay, you, they have 150k, you know, a third of revenue in in inventory, and you know, they need 300k to to double. Is are these metrics you you know your 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 underwriting yeah. system actually looks into and you know grabs onto and understands to better sort of you know give a a, a rate. Uh, it does. Uh, we how it works is like our when you come to us uh typically you go through the onboarding where you connect your accounting so your zero or quickbooks uh which gives us the, the data we need and based on that we come back with a limit and a price so this is how much of a limit that you can use to to procure and here's your sort of monthly price uh and that is determined by a lot of factors, uh, like how profitable you are, how much inventory you have, uh, etc. That's uh, a bit of a uh, the secret sauce in a business like yeah. this. Data uh, science, and it, it it might not be everything you need, but what typically happens from our customers, they use the service, they can grow a bit, become more profitable, they pay us back, so we see pay back on time and we can give a higher limit and hopefully a better price and we have this sort of positive spiral where our customers use us to grow and improve and we can then give them even more so they can grow and improve even more so that's the sort of uh what we're trying to achieve uh and what is also happening interesting really really interesting okay so let's let's track back to my original question which was um so so it was two pronged the second bit is really data points like trends you're seeing i i don't know how many merchants are are on trade uh, at this point in time but from a consolidated standpoint what's what trends 
are you saying we, we, we you know, COVID has, has occurred, has come and gone. We faced a huge supply chain, you know, um, you know, challenge you know, over COVID and after COVID, there were freight issues, yeah, logistic it's... issues, raw material issues, inflation. And to be honest, we're still in the thick of it. If you really think about it, in terms of like, you know, price increases and consumer demand, so what are you seeing in the operational standpoint with, with all of the data? Um, obviously, it's all analyzed. So yeah, insights are yeah. great. I mean, like you're saying, last year was really a perfect storm. Uh, consumers spent money on other things than buying stuff. And prices remained high in the supply chain. The freight was super expensive. Uh, a lot of Nordic customers had had problems with the exchange rate, etc. So, So that was really, really terrible and i think uh, a couple of things that we have seen both in going through that and looking ahead like one there is at least now i think the horizon is looking again a little bit brighter because not least on on our sort of home turf the supply chain uh so freight rates have gone down by something like 80 percent. so really back getting back to normal uh, mm. so, as you and all the listeners know, it was super painful. It went from like $2,000 to get a container from China to up to $20,000, which was super painful for margins. And we really saw that. The other thing that happened was, of course, also factories where there was so much demand that factories could really increase their prices and it was hard to get things out. You had to place large orders. But all of that is now improving. So despite the sort of price inflation, factories now again have capacity and most dramatically freight prices are really down. They're almost back to pre-COVID levels and that really helps the margin for our, for our customers. And we saw last year the margins were really getting compressed. Mm. We, we thought that it was going to hurt growth uh, a lot and a lot of our, we talk a lot to our, to our customers and people were super worried about like how is q3 q4 gonna be with this kind of demand but we actually saw that people remained at at reasonable growth levels and and had uh, enough demand but the the margins were compressed by the supply chain costs mm-hmm. a little bit also by the you know spending more on marketing uh, for every customer mm-hmm. uh, but now there's things are easing up a bit, uh, especially on the supply chain. So we have at least early signs of improving margins again, Mm -hmm. uh, which is good. And I think at least right now, it looks like a more planable future than it did last Mm -hmm. year. Like who knew what the new demand was going to be after COVID. And now we're sort of through at least one, one cycle of that. Uh, the other thing that we have seen, uh, which might be interesting for some listeners is we have a mix of our brands. Some are pure direct to consumer brands, some are pure wholesale brands, and some are, or the typical is actually you have both. You have both the direct to consumer and more of a wholesale side. And this past uh, year has really shown this, the power of having multiple channels. So we see several of our customers who were, for example, D2C, also adding wholesale channel uh, because it it creates more stable sort of revenue. Uh, but it also seems to be, from our data, a more profitable approach mm. where you can get you know 
a little bit the higher margin from e-commerce and the more predictable larger volumes, uh, which helps you in the supply chain from having wholesale. And it also seems like the two channels are kind of mutually beneficial uh, yeah. to many customers. Like the branding from direct to consumer, you spend typically a lot of effort and time and money on that. It's really helpful for the for your wholesale channels mm-hmm. and uh, being visible in other sort of multi-brand stores, uh, etc., is also good for your direct-to-consumer uh, mm-hmm. experience. So it seems to be a, a big trend, at least what we see, that you actually mix channels a bit more. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're getting, you know, they're, they're getting into the wholesale. The wholesale space, meaning that you need a whole new source of, source of skills to, to actually sell to to retail. You'd need, you know, a, a, at least a, a, a seller, you know, one head of sales yeah. initially, and then you start to build up that team where they'll be responsible for for regions or a retailer and all of that stuff. So, really, really interesting, really, really interesting trend. So, is is this where the growth is coming from rather than just sticking to D2C and trying to launch more products? Where would you where would you put your money? Let me put it this way. Where, Peter, where would you put your money in 2023? Would you put it in funding more product launches or would you sort of figure out, okay, let me go more wholesale and find more of these one-to-many accounts? <laughs> Hard one. <laughs> the entrepreneur always says both, but uh, I actually, I actually. What's think, a lazier uh, one? What's a low-hanging fruit one? The low-hanging fruit is probably adding another channel uh, mm. for your existing sort of uh, product catalog, because mm. if you spent like all that time, money, and effort into D 2 C, you have built a strong brand. You have awareness that that you can really sell to that wholesale or that uh, retailer or multi-brand store. So I think that's a fairly straightforward way to keep volumes up and margins higher uh, in general. Of course, the the gross margin is going to be lower in that, but you get more volume and you don't have to spend the marketing dollars. Uh, So I think that's usually the lower hanging fruit. Yeah, and you get a channel specialist to to really you know handle that bit of expansion, right? Yeah, but of course the 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 other sort of way to do it is also to use like marketplaces like Amazon, for example, mm-hmm. is something that, that we also see some of our even like the wholesalers uh, who haven't done D two C, they often kind of start like that. Uh, mm. to learn the motion of going closer to straight to customers. But it also goes both ways. But one interesting thing that we see is that usually it's not like exactly the same product catalog. Uh, it also opens up for a bit price differentiation. Maybe you sell like the not the coolest new uh, design on the on Amazon. Uh, you save that for your for your e-commerce, your own e-commerce channel, uh, mm-hmm. so to keep your margins high, but also get the volume uh, from the marketplace. Yeah, so that, that's that's an underrated, you know, um, tip you just gave right now. A, a, lo- a lot of people don't see a lot of brands don't see Amazon as a brand discovery platform where people figure out, oh, you exist. This is what you do. Let me try your product. And and then from there, they could either relate with you direct or still with Amazon or, you know, and, and then limiting that 
that access, you know, limiting that product availability or, or the, 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 the scope of products on Amazon is, is really, really key. So yeah. they can find out more and direct with, with yourselves. Okay. So let's wrap this conversation up. I have a few more questions, which is how do merchants tend to increase their credit limits on tread? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, yeah. Typically make sure you have connected your accounting, pay on time, continue to grow and ideally show profitability. Those are sort of the, the, the standard ways of, of increasing uh, the limit with trade. And then you finance invoices with suppliers so long as, so, so for every new supplier that comes on board and trade, you would sort of vet them, as you earlier said, you do your DD, you do your KYC on them. And then so long as they're within the scope, I, I assume you then sort of approve that, that payment, right? Exactly. And our scope is pretty simple. It's physical products that are non-perishable. So okay. we don't finance uh, like services or fruit or things like that. But for, I think, almost all your uh, your listeners, uh, it's, it's the things that you sell. It That's apply. the things okay. you should pay with trade. Okay. And then for our CPG listeners, there's some CPG listeners who are, you know, launching the, the next big food and beverage brand, uh, what have mm -hmm. you. Some of them, you know, just alluding to what you said, are really tapping into, they, they've seen, okay, people love us D2C, people love us on Amazon. We're going to make our first strides by, you know, trying to, to reach out to the supermarkets to get our products on there. And that in its in of itself, if you get a purchase order from, say, Sainsbury's here in the UK or Waitrose, you know, where you're talking, you know, sometimes, you know, purchase order of, we want quarter of a million pounds, you know, worth of inventory from yourselves. And you're like, how the heck am I going to, to, to fund that? Can they come to tread for, for, for sort transactions or, um, you know, um, especially if yes. they're not. Okay. All right. Makes sense. They, they can, uh, if it's like fresh produce, like, you know, fruit or flowers or, uh, what have you, uh, it's probably not going to work. Uh, but mm -hmm. we have a lot of food and beverage brands that use uh, oh, no. that use okay. trade. Uh, it's quite common. Uh, okay. So another question I have is within CPG, there are two broad categories in CPG. You have um, CPG CPG brands that um, do not do their manufacturing. Essentially, they would mm. use a third party. Um, it does not mean that they don't have their unique recipe or unique, you know, blend. Essentially. But they just don't do it in house. They 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 do other they they carry out other functions in house. And then you have other CPG brands that do everything in house. And so for them, when they get that purchase order, they're trying to essentially buy raw materials for yeah. their you know for, for manufacturing. How does that play out with tread? Yeah, we we try to avoid. Uh, that is really not our sort of. ICP or ideal customer profile. Uh, mm -hmm. So we we say that to use trade, you buy finished goods or almost finished uh, from mm -hmm. from a factory. So our most of our customers are non manufacturing. Uh, mm -hmm. So there is always a gray zone. That's the you see. For example, we we have we do a lot of makeup, and usually you buy packaging from one place and you buy the content, the sort of formula from from somewhere else. Fine, not a problem. But if you're buying, I don't know, potatoes to make crisps, uh, 
that should be out of scope. All right. Okay. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Now, before I let you go, we have what we call a lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five or maybe even seven questions. And if you could use a single sentence to answer each of them, it'd be great. And then we end the mm-hmm. show. I take, I give you back your time. Sounds like a challenge. <laughs> you already heard I, I, okay. I, I use too many words. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. So what advice would you give yourself five years ago? Start earlier. We haven't started trading. We really should have. All right. Are you a morning person? Absolutely. What's your morning daily? Okay. So what's your daily morning routine? Yeah. The majority of days is uh, 5.30 and I go exercise in the morning. I think that's the perfect way to start a day. And kind of the only time to find the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. And other than that, then I bring my dog to the office and get at mm-hmm. it all right all right are you into sports i am although i i've now promised our dear investors that i'm not doing extreme sports anymore <laughs> uh, but i do manage to squeeze in uh, the occasional kite surfing session uh, right. and if i'm really lucky uh, you know a ski run all right what's ooh, what's your favorite team sports team I, I only the only sort of team sport I watch is actually handball, and I bet most of your listeners don't. I, I, I played that a lot as, when I was young, so I have my okay. my favorite team is like my hometown team called Khubda. Uh But that's nice. about it. Okay. So, what two things can't you live without? Coffee and coffee. Can I say? <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you some coffee. Okay. Yeah. What book are you currently reading or listening to? Yeah, so right right now I'm I'm uh, reading a, a book about uh, Russian history, uh, mm-hmm. which is super interesting. I mean, given the world oh, period, so actually mainly about the the more recent years, like from mm-hmm. the end of the Soviet uh, Empire and mm-hmm. the rise of Putin and all that. So mm-hmm. that I I find international relations uh and sort of geopolitics as one of my sort of uh you know secret treats for myself interest uh, it, it goes back to your cross-border risk analysis and corporate strategy and all of that stuff exactly okay. like that <laughs> okay final question um what's been your best mistake to date by that i mean a setback that's giving you the biggest feedback yeah i, th- I think the obvious one for me is flying into that norwegian mountain <laughs> Uh, that is without it, I would not have founded trade uh, or co-founded trade. And that is probably the best thing I've done so far. Serendipity, we say. Okay. Peter Beckman, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. I would link to Tread. It's T-R-E-Y-D dot I-O in the show notes. Thank you ever so much. Thanks a million. Super fun. Finally to be to be on here, not only listening. <laughs> Amazing. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, 
Give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.